God is good. And all the time. All right. Amen. You know, this past week, I uh, listened to some music at work and had the computer on. And I don't know if you've ever heard the song, Only Jesus by Casting Crowns. And the song is about, the context is about, it is only about Jesus. It's not about ourselves. It's not about all the worldly things that we gain. It's not about... uh, us being honored or, or uh, leaving a legacy. The song says, I don't care if I leave a legacy when I die. The main thing I want is people to remember Jesus because of my life. That's what the entire song's about, is that people will remember Jesus because of the lives that we live. Well, the song, it was, they, they were, it was a video, and the band was in like a junkyard, singing this song and the the lead singer he pulled up in an old bronco so they're out there singing this song and they're showing all the stuff behind the singers and the musicians and there's old cars that are smashed and destroyed there's old furniture that's smashed and destroyed and and all these things that we gather all of our lives they're in that junkyard smashed and destroyed and in the middle of the song he goes to the back of his old Bronco and he gets out a big old box of trophies and he walks them over and just dumps them on the pile with everything else because they're meaningless. They truly are. And it was just moving. It was such a moving song. I think it just reveals the most important thing is is that others remember Jesus through the lives that we live on this earth. Amen? Amen. My message this morning I titled... He is not here, for He is risen. He is not here, He is risen. He has risen from the tomb. He has risen from the tomb. We sang that song, Were You There? Were you there when they nailed Him to the cross? Were you there when they laid Him in the tomb? Well, my friends, I say that if you were there, you may have experienced the same thing they did. They were probably confused. Because the disciples and his followers thought that he was going to be the one to deliver them from a Roman rule. Rome was ruling Israel. They'd set governors up in all areas of the the land to rule and govern the people and to collect taxes from them. So they were looking to Jesus. Even though Jesus told the disciples, his followers, a number of times that he was going to have to suffer and die, But on the third day, he would rise again. Even though he told them that, they didn't quite understand it. They didn't really understand what he meant. So when he was hanging there on that cross, I'm sure that they were fearful. There was a lot of uncertainty. They're wondering, what has happened? What has happened? The one that we thought was going to deliver us from Roman rule, And there he hangs on that cross. There he hangs, dying. And then they laid him in the tomb. But friends, there might have been a lot of confusion. There might have been a lot of fear. But Sunday morning was coming. Sunday morning was coming. And their confusion and their fear was turned to joy. Because Jesus rose up out of that grave. There might be a lot of fear and confusion today, but Jesus is alive. 
As Karen already said, we don't live by fear, we live by faith. We live by faith in the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Now we'll get started on the message. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You that You allowed Him to come to this earth and pay a debt that He did not owe. We thank You, Father, that You have transferred our sin debt on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we humbly receive and accept and believe that that was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. Father, we thank You that You made a way that we can be reconciled unto You. And we celebrate today, we celebrate the risen Lord. We celebrate the victory over sin and death through the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. We just give You praise and glory and honor. And Father, I pray that the word spoken today, as it rests upon the ears of those that hear it, that it would penetrate into their hearts and touch their hearts and move their hearts that you might be glorified through the words spoken today, that your name would be lifted on high, for you alone are worthy of all praise and adoration. And Lord, I just pray that you would just bless each family that is listening, each person listening today. Bless them with your presence. May your peace, that peace that passes all understanding, be upon each and every one. Amen. We're going to be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him because, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. I find it interesting. He didn't care about them guards. Go ahead and be afraid. But the women, because they came seeking Jesus, said, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. That is the three greatest words ever spoken in the history of mankind. He is risen. He is risen, as He said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. So they were able to see firsthand. The angel said, come, come into the tomb and see where He was laying. They could see the sepulcher. They could see His grave clothes there. But He was not there. So they firsthand, with their own eyes, was able to see where Jesus Christ was laid in that tomb. He continues, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he has gone before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and beheld him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them 
his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. I want to begin with the last part of this passage and then we'll discuss the first part. Isn't it amazing what men will do for money? Isn't it amazing the lies that men will tell just to get a little money for in their pockets or in their savings account? I found an illustration. There was a judge that was presiding over a trial. And the evidence in this trial was just perfectly presented. There was plenty of evidence that they should have easily come up with a guilty verdict. But for some reason, they just couldn't come up with a verdict. He was so disgusted with this group of jurors that he called them back in and he said, I discharge this jury. I discharge this jury. You're, you can go. Well, one sensitive juror, indignant at what he considered rebuke, obstinately faced the judge and he said, you can't discharge me. He said in a tone as if he was standing on, on his rights. And why not, asked the surprised judge. Because, announced a juror, pointing to the lawyer for defense, I was hired by him. <laughs> not only was he easily bribed, he was pretty stupid, right? I was hired by him. You know, the chief priest, when you look at the activities around, really, Jesus' entire ministry, but especially in his final week, these same chief priests were willing to pay Judas Iscariot 30 pieces of silver to betray, betray Jesus. They are the same ones that went throughout the crowd. In Jesus' day, it was customary that the governor, in this case Pilate, would honor tradition for years during the time of Passover. They would pardon a prisoner. They would set a prisoner free, a Jewish prisoner. They would let them go. It was kind of a, 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 just a kindness towards the nation of Israel during their time of celebrating the feast or festivals. So they would let a prisoner go. Well, Pilate knew that they handed Jesus over to him out of envy. He knew that he was guilty of no crimes. So Pilate, wanting to free Jesus, asked, who do you want me to free? He also had Barabbas, a notorious criminal, and Jesus. But when he went before the crowd and said, do you want me to let Jesus go? Do you want me to release Jesus? The priests were going throughout the crowd, whispering, ask for Barabbas. Ask for Barabbas. So they incited excited the crowd, and they cried out for Barabbas. They said, what do you want me to do with Jesus? They shouted, crucify Him. Crucify Him. The priests were behind this. These same priests who paid Judas 30 pieces of silver. So they just continued in their lying and scheming ways. They went through great pains to bring about His death. The fake trial, witnesses that lied about what Jesus did. I'm sure there was probably a little bribery there also. 
They had convinced Pilate that Jesus was dead. And they requested a guard for the tomb. Because even they remembered that He said He would rise on the third day. Matthew 27, 62-66 says, And on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember when He was still alive how the deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. My friends, I believe that this just actually makes it so truthful to believe that the resurrection is true because they had a guard there. They were fearful that he was going to rise from the dead. So there was a guard there during the entire time. But the chief priests now find themselves in a predicament, don't they? After the guards had shared all that had happened, you know, think about the guards' experience. They're sitting out there for three days guarding a tomb. Wondering, man, what a job this is. I'm guarding the tomb of a dead man. Well, they've never risen from the dead before. We know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but he eventually died again. We know that he raised the boy of the mom, but they all died again. Never had anyone ever risen to never die again. But there they are guarding this tomb of a dead man. So here in this last night, envisioned it was a quiet night, not much going on, watching the stars, maybe hearing the owls who at night, maybe hearing the critters out going, scurrying around on the ground, but not much happening. But as daybreak draws near, the quietness, the quietness of the night is gone. The earth begins to shake. Everything's rumbling and shaking and the angel appears and rolls away the stone. And his, what did it say about his appearance? As bright as lightning. We had a storm the other night. And I'm telling you, it lit up the sky. It's kind of like, did you see that flash? Their, his, their appearance or his appearance was like lightning. It said that they were like dead men. But I believe that they were able to see and hear everything that was going on. I believe that they were just so overcome with fear that they could not move. Their limbs would not allow them to move. They were frozen in place. But I believe that they saw and they heard. I believe they saw that the stone was rolled away. I believe they saw the angel take the women into the tomb. I believe they heard the words that were spoken because they went back to the priest and revealed everything that happened. So he was able to see all of these things happen. They revealed the truth. So what did the chief priest do? Well, 
apparently what they've been accustomed to doing, they resorted to bribery again, paying the guards to spread yet another lie, another lie that is widely believed among, among many Jews still today. Tell him, tell the people, tell the governor, you fell asleep. And the disciples came and stole the body. Well, we know that if they actually reported to the governor that they fell asleep, that there could be strong recourse because of their actions of falling asleep. Maybe even put to death because of falling asleep. But what did the priest tell them? Don't fear. If this comes to the governor's ear, we'll take care of it. So again, what are they going to do? They're going to bribe the governor, right? We'll take care of it. We'll spare your lives. Another lie. You know what happens when you tell a lie? You've got to tell another lie to cover up that lie, right? It's just kind of like this snowball effect. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. You've got to keep telling more lies and more lies and more lies to, start to cover up the first lie. A man told me once, no man has sufficient memory to be a successful liar. Because you, for, you forget all those lies that you told in the past. But I thank God for His holy scriptures that reveal the truth. They reveal the truth. They are not a lie. They reveal the truth of the life, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that scripture to be absolute truth. I believe God's word above man's word. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that that tomb was empty and is still empty today. I believe that He is a ri has risen, that He is alive, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So that's the question today, the most important question. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that He is alive and will never die? And is at the right hand of God? Friends, the resurrection is the foundation in which the entire Christian church is built upon. If you were to take away the resurrection, I believe the church would crash. It would cease to exist. You know, when you build a house, when you build a house, you have to dig down deep. You have to dig down and find a firm footing in which to pour footers, in which to lay blocks upon to get above the ground to begin building your house. You have to get down below the frost line at least, if you're not going to put a basement under there, you at least need to be below be below the frost line. If you were to level out a piece of ground, let's just get it nice and level, and begin laying blocks right there upon the ground with no footing, just lay blocks upon that ground. You do this in the summertime because you know you need nice weather. So you get these blocks laid, you build your house upon it, and oh, it looks so beautiful. Well, wintertime's coming. And what happens with wintertime when the ground freezes? The ground expands and it raises. So it would be raising them blocks up and they'd begin to crack. They'd begin to lean this way and that way. Well, it might survive one winter, but as it raises, it's cracking the drywall and things begin to move and shift inside the house. So you make it through the winter without completely crashing. Well, then you've had the spring rains that come. So the spring rain comes and that softens the soil up. Then it begins to sink down. So it's been raised up, now it's sinking down. Your blocks are looking this way and that way. 
The inside the house, the walls are all cracked. It even cracked the roof. So now the roof's cracked and the rain's coming in. That house is not going to last very long. It may last a year. I don't know if it would even last two years. A house needs a firm foundation on which to be built upon if it is going to last. The church needs a firm foundation. And that firm foundation is Jesus Christ. And that firm foundation is the resurrection. The resurrection is the foundation principle of the church. You take it away and we're a little more than a social club. Or we might be a club that relies upon its own works. But I can tell you what that's going to get us. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing but maybe a few rewards on this earth that will all perish like those trophies. 1 Corinthians 15, 12-20 says, Now if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if, the, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. That says it. If Christ is not risen, why, why would we even be here? Our faith is empty, our preaching would be empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he's, He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He has become the first fruits. My friends, on the cross, this is the great mystery. The great mystery of the gospel that as Jesus Christ hung there on that cross, He took the sins of the world upon Himself. God's Word tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So friends, the wages of sin is death. Someone has to die for our sins. My sins, your sins, the sins of the entire world. To me, the mystery is that Christ died for the sins of all those before us, for those who lived in His lifetime, those that live in our lifetime, and those to come after us. Mysteriously, God has placed all the sins of all mankind upon Jesus Christ as He hung there on that cross. He died in my place. He died in your place. Took your sin. Paid your sin debt. That we can be forgiven. That we can be reconciled to God. That we can have the hope of eternal life. But friends, that act on that cross is not all. That's not, it, it, it isn't complete yet. He died for our sins. Then they placed Him in that grave. Friends, it's the resurrection. It's that empty tomb that completes the process. That gives us the victory over sin. Gives us the victory over death. 
The angel said, He is not here, for He is risen. As He said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. The truth of the resurrection, friends, has endured the test of time. It has endured. If it was a false testimony as the priest told the guards to say, if it didn't really happen, it would have... The story of the resurrection or the account of the resurrection would have died off long ago. But it is the truth. In Acts chapter 5, verses 26 to 39, it says, Then the captain went to the officers, and Peter and some of the other disciples had been arrested for preaching Christ. So they arrested them, threw them in prison, so they're bringing them before the, the council. It says, Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence. For they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name, in Jesus' name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are His witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit of whom God has given to us who obey Him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men and brethren, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him, He was slain, and all those who obeyed him were scattered, and it came to nothing. After this, a man named Judas of Galilee rose up in those days, in the days of the census, and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Gamaliel says, let things run their course. Let things run their course. If Jesus is not truly the Messiah, then it will come to nothing. He says, but if you fight against it, and if it's truly of God, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. Well, my friends, it is of God, and that's why it has withstood the test of time. That is why we still celebrate the resurrection today. It's why we still worship the true risen Savior. It is God's plan, and it was His plan from the very beginning. And it has not faded today. It's just as real and just as powerful today as it was just a little over 2,000 years ago. He is still Lord. He is still victorious over the tomb. The resurrection may be scientifically impossible, but I believe it to be historically true. 
The resurrection is history-making, earth-shaking, life-transforming, and eternity-changing truth. Do you believe it to be true? According to Scripture, Jesus, Jesus was seen by over 500 people. Over 500 people that knew He was crucified, that knew that He was laid in a tomb, that knew that, that He died. They knew that. But here He was before them alive, talking with them, teaching them. They was able to bear witness of the risen Lord. 500 people. Romans 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection proves that He is God's Son, declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Not only is Jesus' resurrection the foundation of the church, His resurrection is what makes it possible that we too can be resurrected to eternal life. If He would have not defeated death, we could not either. But because He did, we can. That is our hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23 But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Hallelujah. I hope someone out there is saying hallelujah. Hallelujah. Someone here is saying hallelujah. Afterwards those who are his at his coming. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall also be resurrected at his coming. I found a very heart moving story that I'll used to close with this morning. Uh, this was from the Leadership Magazine. They tell the story of a young boy, about an eight-year-old boy named Philip, who was born with Down syndrome. And he attended a third-grade Sunday school class with several other seven- and eight-year-old boys and girls. But typical of that age, because of him being different, the children did not readily accept Philip because of those differences. Sometimes kids can be very kind, but other times kids can be, can be cruel. But because of these differences, they didn't readily accept him. But because of a very creative teacher, they began to care about Philip and accept him as part of the group, but not fully. It was a Sunday after Easter, and the teacher brought some of those legs pantyhose containers. Now, there may be some young people that have no clue what I'm talking about. It's a big old plastic egg, and you pop it open, and there's a pair of pantyhose in there. I don't even think they still have them. So it's something old, so that's why I had to describe it. So she brought a bunch of these legs pantyhose containers and gave one to each child and instructed them that they were to go outside. It was a beautiful spring day. 
And she said, I want you to find some symbol for new life. Because you know in the springtime, the, the, the trees are bursting forth and the flowers. So I want you to go out and I want you to find a new symbol for life. And I want you to put it into the container. So they all go out there and they're scurrying and they're running around the church and they're finding all these things to place in their containers. So they're done. When they come back in, they place them all there on the table. And the teacher begins to open them up. And as she opens them up, you know, a couple had flowers and all the kids would ooh and ah, the, the beautiful little flowers. And some would have the bloom that, you know, comes off of the tree. Some, one even had a butterfly. But all the kids would ooh and ah as she opened up all the eggs and revealed this symbol of new life. But finally she opens one up and it's empty. Of course, you know kids. Well, whose is that? They didn't do their work. They didn't do their assignment. That's just stupid. They didn't put anything in it. Well, Philip spoke up and he said, that was mine. He says, and I did do my work. They said, no, you didn't. It's empty. There's nothing in there. He said, I did do my work. He said, that was the empty tomb. That's the empty tomb that represents our new life. Well, silence followed his statement. They, had, they said nothing. Neither did the teacher at that moment. But from that point on, he was accepted as a full member. They completely accepted him. But sadly, not too long after this event, little Philip got an infection and passed away. Most kids would survive something like that, but Philip didn't. And at his funeral, Instead of bringing flowers, all those young children brought the legs pantyhose containers and placed them up in his coffin. Little Philip knew that that empty egg is a symbol of new life. Friends, that tomb that Jesus was laid in is empty. And that is the symbol of our new life in Him. In Him. It is my prayer that you believe in the risen Savior Jesus Christ. Because He lives, we can live. We have that hope of eternal life because this life is not all there is. As Paul said, if this life was all there is, it's most pitiable, isn't it? But the life that we look forward to, that which He's prepared for us, is our hope. And let that joy, let that hope sink into your hearts today. And renew that love and renew that joy in your hearts. The joy of the risen Savior. Amen.